the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we ask that as we open your word now, that we might uh, know and receive that freedom, that freedom that the sun gives, that freedom that the spirit applies. Uh, may we know it now. Uh, we ask it uh, for your glory. And, and we do pray for your help. Um, ask for, for your help for myself, Lord, as I speak. Uh, for those uh, listening now, uh, Lord, for, for all of us, that we may be attentive to your voice and we might somehow, in some way, uh, hear you this morning and know uh, deep in our bones that we are your children. Uh, for we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Lovely to see you. Uh, my name is uh, Simon. I'm... Uh, what am I? I'm a lots, lots of different things. I'm, I am uh, part-time during the week. I work for a, a tech company. And the other half of my week, I am a uh, stay-at-home dad. And uh, with a little bit of the rest of the time, I'm one of the leaders here at the church uh, at Belmont. So that's a little bit uh, about me. Uh, lovely to meet you. And uh, uh, if something this morning uh, strikes you, do come and uh, have a chat to me uh, down the front here. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation. So uh, we are uh, studying the book of Romans, as Clive has already mentioned. What, what can you expect this morning? I hope to bring you a whole load more mountaineering references, uh, if, you, if you haven't seen any of those already. We're making our way um, up the mountain. We've been reading a book, we've been reading a book, Romans, but we've also been working through uh, some material that's been given to us by a chap called Andrew Ollerton, and this is a popular level book, Romans, a letter that makes sense of life. On the back, there is a, a little bit of blurb, allow me to read it to you. It says, if the New Testament were the Himalayas, Romans would be Mount Everest, and chapter 8 would be the summit. Uh, guess where we are today? <laughs> We're in chapter 8. No pressure then. <laughs> I feel a little bit like, this cultural reference might be lost on you, but I'm going to try it anyway. I feel a little bit like, have, have you ever seen the movie Wayne's World? Have you ever seen the movie Wayne's World? Oh, there was a year there. Uh, Wayne and Garth. They meet their, their rock idol, their rock god, Alice Cooper the rock legend, Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper says to Wayne and Garth, do you want to hang out with us? And they just fall to their knees and say, we are not worthy. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. Uh, so I feel a little bit uh, like that this morning as I take on uh, uh, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8. I, I hope there'll be some things in here uh, that are, are really beneficial uh, to you. So uh, Romans uh, Dictated uh, by the Apostle Paul, uh, written down by his friend Tertius, and delivered, taken in hand and delivered by a lady called Phoebe, who was a deacon of a church in Greece. It's written around in the winter 
the winter of AD 57 to 58, from the other side of the Adriatic, from the port city of Corinth, and that letter makes its way to the church in Rome. Its purpose is really clear. It's to, to those in Rome, all who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So its purpose then is that its readers, its hearers, might know, really know, that they are loved by God and therefore live out the holiness of life that God has called them to. So it is a real letter, written at a real place in a real time by real people going to a real place. These are the kind of people that this letter arrives to. People like uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Eponetus, Mary, Andronicus and Junia, Ampliatus and Urbanus. You can read about them. They're all at the back of Romans in Romans chapter 16. Romans is a letter to ordinary people in Rome. Those who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. We've been helped a lot by this book, the Romans book by Andrew Ollerton, and its tagline is a letter that makes sense of life. Andrew was with us on our church weekend away two weeks ago. You can catch up with those talks online. Um, And he gave us a little bit of an insight into why he wrote the book, which I found really interesting. He shared with us and he said... His real rationale, his passion for writing, because it's helpful to know that when someone's writing a book. Why did you write this book? It was to get Romans back in the hands of ordinary people, real people. I think his take on it is that it's been sliced and diced by theologians and academics, and it needs a pushback into the hands of ordinary people. Well, we know the letter went to ordinary people. We've named some of them, Ampliatus and Urbanus, If it's good enough for Ampliatus and Urbanus, hopefully it's good enough for us uh, this morning as well. Andrew, on that weekend away, he set us a challenge. He set us some homework. And I wonder how you're getting on with that. So here's your reminder, homework reminder, everyone. Uh, How are you getting on with it? It was to read the book of Romans. Apparently takes about one hour on a standard read-through. I actually did a read-through, obviously, in prep for this. That took me about 45 minutes. I don't know whether I was going particularly fast, but there was like the baby monitor on, and I wanted to make sure I got through it before a child woke up. But about one hour, one hour to read through the entirety of Romans. Have you done it yet? Uh, Is there some space in the diary to do it this week? Uh, You would be really blessed by uh, taking a look. Right, well, let's just recap where we've been. Uh, Let's have a look at uh, the journey so far. We have been uh, following the route of the gospel. We have gone through uh, the valley of sin, up looking at the crux of salvation, through the place of peace, past the coffee stop of destiny, and on to the ridge of freedom. I threw that one in there just to see if you're awake. Uh, you're with me. Brilliant. Uh, this is where we've been. We've been in Romans chapters uh, 1 uh, to 7 so far. And we've been covered an awful lot of ground. So um, could I be so arrogant as to try and summarize it in four words, uh, which are found in our chapter today, Romans 8? I think you could sum up all that we've seen so far as this. God is 
for us. Just picture some of the journey you've been on so far, on this mountain walk. You are redeemed. You are justified. You have peace with God. You are reconciled. God's love has been poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You have a new freedom and you've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is for us. God is for you. He loves you. To all in Rome, all those ordinary people in Rome who were loved by God and called to be his holy people. God is for us. And that's what I hope we are going to see as we take a look together at Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 to 39. Uh, Rachel really helpfully read for us uh, the first of our readings, which was chapter 8 and verses 14 to 19. And we're going to camp out now in verses 31 to 39. Um, But if if you're doing that big read through at home, uh, you'll make sure you cover the whole thing. So let's take a look together. You can find that on page 172 of the Green Church Bibles. And I'm going to read from verse uh, 31. So having come on this long, long journey, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Romans is, uh, is a wonderfully realistic and honest book. If it's been written to ordinary people, it's, it's honest and it speaks into reality. We've seen that already and we saw that last week as we saw just the realities of sin playing out, not just in the world at large, but in the, across the hearts of ordinary believers. The Apostle Paul really kind of bared his soul as he said he was one of those people who struggled with ongoing sin. So Romans is a letter that speaks into the realities of life in terms of sin, but it also speaks into the realities of life in terms of suffering. It speaks... Into, as we took a look just there at some of our verses, 
it speaks into just some, some, the harshness and the difficulties, the sadnesses, the suffering, the defeat and death that comes in this life. This isn't simply just a victorious kind of rah, rah, rah. This is speaking into the real world, into reality. Who here has not known some trouble or hardship? There are some of you who will know quite intimately persecution in your workplace or in your school. You know what it's like. I'm, I'm actually quite relieved almost that I came to Christ uh, in my uh, 18, having kind of like passed through the whole doing it in school phase. That sounds really, really tough. Romans 8 speaks right into that. It speaks right into real uh, suffering. And I think, uh, I want to be careful because we're holding people's suffering this morning. And I haven't a clue what yours is. So I've got to be careful. But the, but the Lord knows. That's the amazing thing about the, these verses. Is that he's on it. He intercedes for us. When we run out of words, the spirit groans on our behalf. Your own situation and your own suffering, this, this letter, it speaks right into it. And it's willing to touch it. Are you willing to let Jesus touch it? Uh, th- these are just some of the things that we see in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 to 39. But I think the big thing, and I think it's really a one-pointer this morning, is that God is uh, for us. Uh, did you see that there in verse 31? What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you might want to just ask that question, how can I actually know? How can I know that God is for me? And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But I think probably before that, why don't I show you? Why don't I show you using an example that, uh, of someone who I have met, who I, when, I just, when I saw them and I described this scene to you, I, just, I can tell you that that's someone who knows that God is for them. So here's, here's the example for you, a worked example of God being for us. Let's take a look. Do you know where that is? That has now disappeared, but that was on a landfill site um, between 25th, June 20, January 2015 and October 2016, just outside of Calais. That is the Calais jungle. It's a, a refugee and migrant camp on the uh, edge of Calais, in, and it was inhabited at one point by up to uh, 3,000 people. Uh, a, maj- uh, a variety of different nations uh, present there. Uh, we met uh, Eritreans, uh, Ethiopians, Afghanis, Iranians, um, uh, t- uh, folks from uh, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, all ki- places from all kinds of different locations. Uh, we were there, and we were part of a group of churches who were looking to, our aim was to take in uh, hot cooked food from the nations that these folks were from. It's like an amazing story of just gospel-centered hospitality. These, this, this great uh, team of ladies had been learning the best home-cooked meals 
from uh, the nations of which uh, the refugees were made up. And they were brought, bringing these into the camp, giving to us, who were the team, were a group of churches from, uh, from Britain, uh, Dutch, Germans, French. We're, we were a European team, and we were going into the camp with this food to make connections, make friends, and hopefully at some point to be able to share something of the Lord Jesus. That wasn't done in an overt way of handing people Bibles because that would have been the most dangerous thing to do for someone in that situation. It was done in quite a smart way with things like SD cards and um, SIM cards to go into people's phones with the gospel on or the Jesus video. But that's, that's where we were. And one of the number of our group um, was in fact himself a dual citizen of both a Western nation and one of the Stan nations. Uh, he had uh, come to Christ as a migrant, making his way to Germany. And so here he was now, making up part of this team, this team now looking to minister to uh, refugees in the Calais jungle. And it became known, it became known in the camp that we had this chap with us. He's from a nation in which it's illegal to convert to Christianity. And he had those who he knew from back home, from back home in his Stan nation, Muslim friends in the camp who knew uh, that this guy had converted to Christianity. Uh, we would spend our time often in one of the restaurants in the jungle. And this is, uh, this is the Sunshine Cafe the jungle, because it's 3,000 people, had uh, uh, restaurants, cafes, a boxing club, um, uh, uh, churches, um, and all different kinds of uh, schools and all different kinds of amenities, but in shacks and tents and uh, built using pallets. And this is the Sunshine Cafe. So we're in there holding an evening worship service. There was someone giving a testimony, there was song, there was music, and our friend uh, was with us from this star nation who converted to Christianity. And it had become known in the camp. A group of people were in the camp were not particularly happy about this. They were stood outside of the Sunshine Cafe, about six, six or seven young Muslim men looking incredibly uh, severe and had formed a little bit of a crowd uh, out the front. The leader of our group thought, this is not a good situation to be in. It's clear that the presence of this um, uh, Muslim convert is causing difficulties. We need to, we need to move him out the way. So that was, uh, that's what Claire and myself and other folks from the team were then charged with doing. We had to take our friend and take him to the edge of the camp. There were about uh, eight, eight to ten of us, as my memory serves me, in in total, and we were going to take this young man, take him to the edge of the camp. That was a nervy moment, and as we, as we stepped out of the sunshine cafe to do that, I could just see in the eyes of uh, those who were opposing us just the, um, the hatred and the evil that was kind of set upon this young guy who converted and followed Jesus. We we, sur we surrounded him, we just walked calmly uh, to the edge of the campus, about a mile to get to the edge. Our car was parked um, under a bridge, under a subway, and that's where we wanted to get our friend to so that we could drive him back to where we were staying, staying the night. As we were moving uh, to the 
to the edge of the camp. Um, that is, that's really when uh, we thought things, things could get really tricky here. And at that point, uh, myself and one of the team members, we spotted under the bridge a little way away uh, two French armed police officers, because they wouldn't come into the camp, but they would be at the edge of the camp. And so we said, okay, look, why don't we go over to where the French police officers are? We are going to be absolutely safe. We're going to be secure if we go over to those French police officers. They're going to be the thing that keeps us secure, that keeps us safe. Our friend agreed to it, to come with us. Um, but I will never forget what he said to me. And he said to us, as we were taking him over there to these French armed police officers underneath the bridge, he looked at us, filled with the spirit, and said, my police is in heaven. And I'm never, ever going to forget that. This was someone who knew uh, deep in his heart of hearts that God was for him. He knew and he felt clearly uh, secure uh, and loved by God. He was in, clearly, an incredible amount of danger, trouble, persecution, as Romans 8 uh, tells us. But he knew deep in his bones, he was convinced that God was for him. And that has struck me uh, to this very day. So as we're working through some of this stuff, uh, that I'm, I was almost uh, nervous about giving you that story because you can just go, yeah, but that's a, that's a one-off and that's over there. And that's very unlike my situation at work. Well, that's very unlike my situation at home because it could be that home is the place of trouble and difficulty for you. But uh, I say that just to say Romans 8 works everywhere and you can take it with you wherever you go. So what would it look like if you knew deep in your bones that God was for you and you were convinced that nothing could separate you from the love of God? How would you live differently? How would you live differently uh, this week? Well, we can also know, of course, not just in experience or seeing it in the lives of others, we know because there are amazing things that God has done uh, for us. Let's take a look at some of those. They are given to us in the form of questions and answers, and we'll find them there uh, in our passage. How do I know that God is for me? Well, verses 31 and 32 pose this question. Who can be against us? The answer, no one. No one. The reason? God has given you the most precious thing he has, his son. And therefore, will he not also give you all things? He's already given you the most precious thing he has, the Lord Jesus, who we will remember in bread and wine in a few moments' time. How will he not also give you all things? How can you know God's for you? No one can stand against you. How else can we know God is for us? Well, who's going to bring any charge against us? Who's going to accuse us? No one. Because the God, the judge of all the earth, God himself, is the one who justifies us. No one can bring a charge against you. None at all. Who will condemn us? No one. 
Christ Jesus died, rose, and intercedes for you. We often talk a great deal about the the first two of those, Jesus' death and his resurrection. And we're going to remember his death in communion in a few moments' time. How about that third one for you? What's Jesus doing right now? You ever ask that question? He is interceding for you. You are on his heart as he stands in heaven and intercedes for you. We had a prayer meeting this week. We have prayer Thursdays. We'll often pray for the church. That included praying for those uh, in difficult uh, pastoral situations and things like that. We're not doing it by name, but in generalities. Uh, We were praying for about 45 minutes. Jesus is there, stood in heaven, interceding for you. Uh, right now and all the time. Who will condemn us? No one. And who can separate us? No one. God has made us more than conquerors. You are inseparable from the love of God, completely, securely roped, as Andrew Ollerton likes to put it uh, in the in, uh, Romans uh, book. That is the way he likes to put it, so I thought I would use what I think is a good uh, illustration of his from the book. This is from uh, page uh, 148 of his book. He recalls a, obviously, uh, climbing a mountain. Age six he was when he was climbing a mountain with his dad. Uh, Clearly, this guy was into his mountains. He says, I recall one of my earliest mountain climbs with my father. I may have been six years old, As we got up onto the summit ridge, the wind became strong and I was afraid it would blow me off the cliff. I lost all awareness of the view and stumbled to the ground in fear. My father realised what was happening but was not going to let this challenge turn us back. So he took the dog's lead and he tied me to himself. (laughs) This This is just happening up at the top of the mountain, let's be clear. Now when you are six, your dad is huge. Suddenly, tied, uh, tied to his father, tied by the dog lead to his father up the t- summit of the mountain, suddenly the fear dissipated, my head lifted, and soon we were enjoying sandwiches on the summit. Romans 8 reminds us that we're tied to our heavenly father by an unbreakable chain. Nothing can separate us from his love. That's a, a great way of putting it. So the question then to us is, is really just, are you convinced, just like Paul is there in Romans 8 and verses 38 to 39, he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to just ask you that. Are you convinced? Do you know deep in your bones that God is for you, he loves you, and he's never going to let you go? Because that is the work of the Spirit. And that's where I want to bring us round to that first reading that we had from Rachel. I don't have it on the screen, sorry, but that's Romans chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17. And here I just want you to bear in mind that There is another way, as well as looking out at what God has done for us, looking to the cross, the resurrection, the facts of the gospel, there is another way in which we can know 
God is for us. And that's the internal work of the Spirit, pouring his love into our hearts. And what's remarkable about being at the top of this mountain is that you, when you come to think of summits of mountains, surely you are thinking awe, wonder, majesty, glory. But what you aren't always thinking, and what the, the securely roped image of being tied to your heavenly Father brings you is that this place of awe and wonder is also a place of closeness and intimacy. And that's what's new in our receiving and knowing the freedom that the Spirit brings. So let's read that, and with that, I think we'll uh, draw to a close. So Romans chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17. How can I know that God's for me? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. If you know the Spirit's work in your heart, you have a new freedom, a new mindset, a new indwelling presence, a new obligation to follow the Lord, a new identity, a new intimacy, a new inheritance secure forever. So our question is this. Imagine you were convinced nothing could separate you from God's love. How might you live differently this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us in the Lord Jesus. And we do ask for the Spirit's help to make that known to us in our own hearts. We do thank you, Lord, for those moments where you just assure us by your Spirit. You come, you let us know that we are your children, that you are our Father, and that what the love you demonstrated for us in the Lord Jesus uh, can be known in the here and now uh, in our hearts. And so we thank you for that, and we do ask for your help in, in living the difference. Uh, Lord, help, help those um, uh, here this morning, uh, with us today, with us week by week, for whom uh, it's... It's the workplace that is uh, the place of persecution and trouble. Help those for whom it's the home where that is the place of difficulty. Of whatever it may be, we know that you know uh, all, that we, all of our situations and that you are determined uh, by the Spirit, by the Son, to work them all uh, to the good of those who love you. Uh, so we ask uh, that you may... Help us recall these things and enjoy at the summit of Romans 8, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Andrew. God is for you. God 